Heavenly Father, we pause mindful of the many blessings you have bestowed upon us. We ask that you be with us at this rodeo, and we pray that you will guide us in the arena of life. We don't ask for special favors. We don't ask to draw around a shoot fighting horse or to never break a barrier, nor do we ask for all daylight runs or not to draw a steer that won't lay. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in such a manner that when we make the last inevitable ride to the country up there where the grass grows lush green and stir up high and the water runs cool, clear, and deep, that you as our last judge will tell us that our entry fees are paid. Amen. Amen. Wow. Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you, when you're at a, you know, a good rodeo and they got the bucking horses loaded in the chute, um, you know, for the, the bareback riders before the event and, and they start playing or, or uh, reciting this prayer and the bucking horses start getting, you know, antsy and kicking the chute and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a feeling that goes through your body that uh, I've never really experienced in anything else. mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. The voice you just heard was that of Canadian professional bull rider Coy Robbins. Before every competition, he and his fellow riders recite either that one or a similar prayer to bless health and success over what can quickly become a very dangerous sport. When Robbins first entered the bull riding industry, though, he was unaware of the risks. He grew up on a ranch and watched the men in his family ride constantly. Bull riding wise, probably started um, out of steer riding um, when I was about 15, but but it all kind of began, I would say, at a, at a very, very, very young age. Um, just being I was raised in a, a kind of rodeo family, and, and like I touched on earlier, these pictures behind me of my, my father rodeoing and and uh, my uncle rode bulls and and some cousins rodeoed as well um you know the tv always kind of had bull riding on it and and uh stuff like that so my mom tells a story when i was three years old they were my mom and dad were watching uh the pbr on tv and and i looked at my mom and said one day you're going to be watching me ride bulls on tv robbins wasn't always so enamored by the riders he watched through the screen though his family started him in traditional sports, but he quickly shook off the advances of hockey, baseball, and track. It's winter, you know, for six months of the year pretty well. And, and uh, when you're a younger kid, for me especially, you know, other than hockey and school sports, there really wasn't much else to do. I mean, uh, if you're going to be an athletic kid and, and partake in sports, that was really just your, your best option through the winter months. Um, so yeah, I played hockey until I was, I think, 12. And then I started taking rodeoing and, and steer riding, I guess, a lot more seriously. And was getting on like practice steers uh, throughout the winter and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, um, from the time I was young until probably about that same age of 12, I played baseball as well in the in the summertime. And, and yeah, I've kind of always been involved in sports, whether it be like school sports, basketball, volleyball, uh, track and field and then yeah, hockey and baseball and, and then decided to take a more extreme sport um, as my profession. When he was in middle school in Alberta, Robbins was known around his small town for being an adrenaline junkie. 
While his classmates were playing school-sponsored sports and spending their time in extracurricular activities around town, Robbins was riding. He says that it made him an outcast of sorts. Uh, it's a very farming, agriculture-based area, but it was funny. Like I, and and like I'm not saying I was bullied or anything because I wasn't, but a lot of kids would you know make jokes or whatever about me wearing a buckle or tucking my shirt in and wearing boots or whatever. Um, and then as I got older, <clears throat> through like middle school, you kind of the same thing until I kind of went into high school, grade nine, 10, um, mainly was gone. Like I'd go to school for a class and then go to work experience or whatever. And, and I think then I was like in a super small school. So everyone knew me from the time I was six, right? Just as I knew them. And I think they just kind of realized that that's what Koi does. And, and, uh, lots of questions like, aren't you worried about getting hurt or, you know, stuff like that. A lot of teachers would ask, but, um, yeah, I would say just kind of just, I guess what a regular kid would, would go through, you know, everyone's kind of trying to find their own way and, and some are out of the ordinary compared to others. And, and so I think it was just similar to most. At the same time he was traversing the middle and high school social scenes, Robbins was also trying to perfect his steer and bull riding at competitions across Canada and the northern United States. Like, like from the time I was very young, I was terrible. Like, I sucked badly. For like the first two years of steer riding, I never rode one animal. Like, so we got to ride for eight seconds and I maybe would ride for like two, three, four seconds. Um, and it wasn't until my dad said, actually, on the way to a rodeo, he said, you know, if you don't want to do this, that's okay, you know. Um, and I said, no, I don't want to do it. I want to do it. And he said, well, then you're going to have to start. And my dad's kind of a kind of a hard ass, like, um, you know, there's no excuses and, and stuff like that. So he said, well, then you're going to have to put in some work and, and, and show me that you want it. And so kind of from that time on, I was like 12 years old doing push-ups, sit-ups, morning and night and like and then as I got older like 15 16 I really started to take an interest in um, building my own like actual workouts specifically for bull riding and, and stuff like that and and so I think my parents seen you know from the time I was young all the way like my whole um, or all my stages of growth through my career uh, to when it come time that I wanted to ride professionally I don't even really think it was a question for them like they just knew that that was what was going to happen um the only thing i would say is so you have to be 18 to ride pro and my birthday is june 23rd which is like halfway through the year just about and so my dad was like you know questioning me on why would you go pro halfway through the year um but at the beginning of that year i had set a goal that that i needed to ride or i wanted to be riding 80 percent of my bulls in the amateur associations um and then if I was, if I hit that goal, then I was going to go pro no matter uh, what time of year it was. And I think, yeah, by the time my birthday came, I think my riding percentage was like 82%. Um, so I bought my card and, and it worked out great. I yeah, achieved some, um, you know, good things and, and uh, yeah, I've just grown from it. But, but like I said, I don't really think it was much of a question. It was just more of a, when it's going to happen. <laughs> At age 16, Robbins graduated early from high school and set out to pursue bull riding full-time. 
It took a while to work up toward professional bull riding, but at age 18, he made the decision to go pro. That rookie season, although only technically half of the year, produced one of the highlights of his career. It was a season for sure, uh, a short, you know, half a year season, but um, was very honored to receive the 2017 PBR Canada Rookie of the Year, um, which is a goal I had set uh, since the time I was like 16 was to achieve a Rookie of the Year um, achievement. Just being, it's a one-shot deal. You know, you only have one year to achieve that. Um, and, and luckily I, I was able to do so. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, jumped in with um, some some close friends and, and yeah, I got to travel all over and, and uh, experience what the pros do. And, and it was definitely a blast, that's for sure. When his parents were confronted with their son's goals, at first there was skepticism. Going pro as a freshly 18-year-old was a huge commitment, but Robbins worked it out as a ladder pointed up toward what was, at that point, an unrealistic goal. Unrealistic goals? I think being realistic is, is a silly way of putting things. I set really unrealistic goals and then just break it down from there, um, you know, like a ladder and, and small goals and small achievements to achieve that, you know, potentially unrealistic goal. And so at the beginning of that year, I had wrote out my whole plan of how I was going to, you know, um, allow myself to go pro and, and it all just fell completely into place. Like throughout that winter, I was going like twice a week to jackpots, um, riding just about everything they run underneath me. And then into the summer months, um, I actually created such a lead in the one amateur association, um, after even not going half of the year, I still was able to achieve season leader award. Um, so I think, I just think uh, in rodeo there, um, you don't, you don't want to go pro too early and like step out of your, your element and, and um, you know, it can be really discouraging and, and um, be hard on your confidence just with better bowls and you're riding against Canadian champions and guys you've idolized. Uh, so there definitely isn't, or is um, a possibility of overstepping. Uh, but then there's also, in my mind, the possibility of, of just holding yourself back for too long. Um, and I think just um, in the present moment where I was at, I just felt that it was my time that I was gonna go pro. And, and uh, you know, there's obviously like my parents and, and some other old bull riders even and stuff that were saying like, you know, it's a big step and and uh, you, you might as well just finish out the year here and, and start it off in the new year. And, and you know, maybe they were right, maybe they weren't. But, but for me at that time, that I figured that that was uh, the step I needed to take to um, prosper and, and, and grow as, as a bull rider. And, and uh, yeah, I think it was beneficial. It quickly paid off for Robbins. He was suddenly in the changing rooms at events with the riders he used to idolize. You know, guys, while well, I'm still riding with the one Zane Lambert, um, I remember watching him when I was just a steer rider. Um, and then like, even when I was a steer rider at the Canadian finals rodeo in 2014, uh, a lot of the guys that were in the locker room there in the bull riding were in the locker room, my rookie year riding bull. So it was a, it was a real neat experience to be able to share the locker room with them, um, as a competitor. Um, and, and, and it's neat too, like in, in life or bull riding, I think you, you should always be a sponge. I think you should 
always want to soak up as much information as you can and then uh, filter that out um, to see what best suits you. And, and so I was, I mean, my rookie year, I would ask questions and I would um, really listen to them older guys and, and, uh, and like I said, filter out, you know, what I think was necessary for me and, and what I, you know, wasn't much of a fan of. Um, but I'm definitely very thankful to be able to say that, that I shared the locker room with some of them guys, um, you know, as time goes on. Being a sponge also produced in Robbins the ability to compartmentalize his emotions and the physical toll that bull riding requested of him. Bull riding is mainly, I would say, like so much so mental, um, like of a mental game um, to where you don't want to get too um, in your own head, right? Um, in all honesty, like it's it's a com camaraderie, camaraderie that you wouldn't find, I don't think, on any other uh, sports um, because in the end we're not really there competing against each other like we're all there to achieve the same thing and win or um, you know make money or whatever but in the end we're, we're really competing against the bull right because um, if we ride the bull it's a judge sport so if we ride the bull then it's up to the judges to decide who wins but we did our job and that was to just ride our bull um, you know, I'm not really there to beat my traveling partner or to beat Zane Lambert or to beat, uh, you know, any of them guys. I'm, I'm there to ride my bowl to the best of my ability and whatever happens, happens. So I think it's very much so a, a friendly atmosphere. Um, lots of laughs, lots of jokes, lots of, you know, picking fun. Um, because, like, it's funny, you know, it, like the Edmonton Oilers don't travel with the Pittsburgh Penguins to events or the Calgary Flames to events, right? But we travel with one another, you know? So I got, um, you know, three to four guys in the truck with me that are all going, we're all going to the same place to achieve the same thing, you know, which you don't really find in, in a lot of other sports. Um, and, and all the people that, uh, you know, all my best friends and really close friends that I've gained um, through life have been through rodeoing. And, and guys that I really pretty much compete with. So, yeah, it's it's a real friendly um, atmosphere. And, and like I said, lots of jokes and, and picking fun at one another. But, but yeah, that's really it. Nothing, nothing too serious. Through talks with fellow riders of all ages, Robbins came to the conclusion that the one thing irrevocably entwining them all is the love of the sport. It didn't matter what was going on outside the gates. As soon as they got on the bulls, those seconds were all that mattered. The aftermath of those few seconds of bliss is important to consider too, though, and it runs through Robbins' mind constantly. Yeah, I think to be a bull rider, you know, everyone says, oh, you gotta be crazy or whatever, but I think you just really have to, um, you just have to accept the fact that, that you're doing what you love and, and that could be taken away from you, so do it like it's your last time every time. and. And I don't imagine really any, any of us that strap onto bulls are, are really afraid of death. Um, you know, it's sad when it does happen, but, but unfortunately part of the game. And then, you know, as well as injuries and, and um, yeah, it's just, a, it's, just a, it's just a risky game that, that uh, they come with. I got one good friend that broke both his legs 
Uh, well, I guess I think the his one ankle he broke, and then and then was kept getting on, and then the next weekend he, he broke his other leg, like tibular, fibular, or whatever, which happens. I would say just as much as someone breaking their arm. Um, but but in the regard of like the two main injuries, I would say besides concussions would be yeah shoulder dislocations and then uh, like tearing your knees apart and stuff like that. Extreme sport athletes are statistically more prone to serious injury than those in traditional sports. And a bull rider is 10 times more likely to sustain a serious injury than a football player. The eight seconds that it takes to attribute staying atop a bull as a quote ride can result in catastrophic injuries to those like Robbins who make a living off of competing. You know, in all honesty, since the time I've been little, I've never, I've never had really any fear. Um, like you tell me to jump a quad off of a jump, I'll probably do it. You know, at six years old, never really put much thought into things like that. Um, but you do have to have something about you that craves that adrenaline feeling going through your body. Because I don't think it's for everyone. Like not everyone jumps out of an airplane for fun, right? Which I, but I would love to do that, you know. Um, and like, and I think it touch back on the mental side of things, in the regard of putting too much thought into things, right? So I think, like for example, you know, uh, skydiving. Some people would put too much thought into, you know, the the possible outcome, like what could happen, or. Or whatever and same for bull riding you know if you show up to the event and you're tense and you know putting so much thought into you know what could happen you'll probably psych yourself out where so as a bull rider i think you kind of just got to be a you know live in the moment and and not put too much thought into into say bull riding um and just kind of live life day by day and and yeah definitely can't have any fear about you Living fearlessly does have consequences. Robbins has suffered a litany of broken bones and even a few concussions during his time riding professionally. It's not the physical rehab that weighs heaviest on him though. For me, that's something I've struggled with was coming back after injuries. Um, like in regards to my concussions, I've, I've had a number of them and um, for some reason, I find it a little easier to come back after those, maybe because you, you can't really see them, which, which is tough. But uh, and they're, I would say, more serious than really any, any injury. But never really struggled with coming back from them. But when I dislocated and broke my shoulder, I was out for a year and a month. And when I came back, I was like my first six bulls back after that long off. I rode them and you know look good doing it and then as soon as i started entering events you know it's you get the atmosphere and the crowd and music and better bowls i sucked for like till june probably i went i, I come back in april and i sucked until june and i would think for for that injury it was it was just allowing myself to get past the thought of going through all that again. Um, because with that injury, there was some other things that 
that came about it, it like that I would say the hardest thing with that injury was not the healing part of my shoulder or anything it was the the mental side of it um like yeah so I was in a sling for three months I guess not at all able to take it my arm out of the sling like not even to put a shirt on um and then with that my my surgeon said I shouldn't be driving and and I was on some painkillers and stuff obviously shouldn't drive on those so essentially that happened in February and I'm in Canada so it's cold then so from from February until about April I was pretty much just locked not locked but like in this house for three months and and like you know we touched on since the time I've been very young every summer I've rodeoed you know every weekend so for that to be taken away and now you're at you're at home you can't go rodeoing um the the four walls start to close in on you a little bit um you know for me very very much so to where I, I fell uh into some depression and and stuff like that um yeah so that part of the injury was a, was the toughest on me and I think when I come back uh I didn't want to have to you know have to re-experience all that again so like the only thing in bull riding you can control is how hard you try and and i would you know i was kind of known as a kid that would try till his head hit the ground uh, and when i come back from that shoulder i would get in a little bit of a bind and i would just get off you know to save myself essentially and i think that was just because i didn't want to re-experience you know potentially hurting myself again um bull stepped on my arm and broke my arm um so i didn't i think at the time that I got, or, yeah, that I broke my arm. I was ninth in Canada, which was um, the best at that time that I, um, or highest in the standings I had been. And yeah, so I missed the finals that year and everything else. And and just with that, you know, and then with that injury, it wasn't near as painful or it was still as long. I, it was some complications with it. I needed two surgeries and, and was out for about 12 months, 11 to 12 months. But I just knew, um, you know, what I had went through with my shoulder, uh, you know, going into depression and, and really not having a purpose. Um, when I broke my arm, I knew I didn't want to fall back into that. Um, and I knew which steps I needed to take to make sure that didn't happen. And then I took, uh, like I'm very much um, into working out and, and trying to be the best athlete I can be. So I took that injury as... Um, okay, this is my new sport. Rehab is my new sport, and I'm going to be the absolute best at it that I can be to get back as soon as I can. Unfortunately, I can't uh, speed up bone healing. But um, And then COVID hit, and, you know, we didn't have very very many events to go to at all. And and then, um, and then yeah, this year, I've been extremely grateful. I, I made her through the year. And I'm I really big into, like, uh, self-talk and, um, and, and positive self-talk and stuff like that. But I'm also not afraid to dig deep and, and uh, you know, get after myself um, because I do know my potential and, and uh, what I am capable of. So I think I just had a good talk with myself and, and got sick of taking part um, and just kind of showing up and never being a part of the conversation. And, and then it really started to click and, and yeah, I kind of finished the year out real strong.
Part of that self-talk is breaking down his rides into not only seconds, but sometimes individual movements. Once he sits atop the bull, he surrenders control. His life is at the will of the bull, and in order to stay uninjured, he has to anticipate every single movement before it happens. Really, we're not in control. Um, you know, the bull is is wholeheartedly in control um, and in the lead uh, because there's a thing of overriding a bull and, and not riding enough. So if we override, you know, we'll we'll buck ourselves off, um, and then if we're not riding enough, we'll buck off as well. So you got to find that like a dance, right? Like I. You know, if you and I were to dance and I'm leading, but you're trying to go way faster than I am, we're going to end up in a bind. Um, so it's just finding that rhythm. Um, and as you, you know, you do it for long enough, it, it comes almost naturally like muscle memory. Um, but yeah, just find that, that rhythm and, and you just making counter moves to his move, um, like a split second behind almost. And, and yeah. Yeah, it's not really too complex. I always just try and stay extremely calm and, and relaxed. And uh, yeah, like for example, 30 minutes before the event, I'm, I'm, I would be sitting in the change room visiting with, you know, all my buddies about it, probably something that doesn't even have to do with bull riding at all. Um, yeah, like really... You know, a lot of people think, like I'm sure a hockey player, you know, 30 minutes before they're probably, you know, in their zone and, and you know, getting it on their mind. But I think in bull riding, it's so much a mental game that you almost don't even want to think about it. In moments where his intense preparation, or lack thereof, backfires, it creates dangerous opportunities for serious injury. Robbins and his fellow riders have learned to work through the pain, but that might not always be for the best. It's really not if you get hurt in bull riding. It's it's usually just when and how bad. Um, like a lot of times, you know, we'll get banged up at an event and, and not be hurt. You know, we'll be sore pretty well after every event. Um, and pretty well all through the year, we're sore. Like one part of our body is sore, whether it be our elbow or our neck or our ankles or our shin bones or knees, whatever. Um, so there's also a difference between soreness and, and hurt. Like, and for bull riders, being hurt is a lot more serious, I think, than other sports. Just be, like, there's guys getting on with broken foot, broken leg. You know, I've gotten on with a cast on my free hand, uh, broken jaws. Um, and you don't really see that in other sports. But I think that would be because if we're not riding, we're not making money. Right? So, like, we're not, like, a lot of sports on a contract base. Like we pay an entry fee. So for example, I have a PBR this weekend, Saturday in Lloydminster, Alberta, and uh, I'll pay a hundred dollars to get on a bull to potentially make money. You know what I mean? So it, it's almost like gambling on yourself to ride a bull, right? It's like gambling on your health. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So I'll pay the hundred dollars and I could ride both my bulls and still, you know, very unlikely. I'm, I'm sure if I were to ride both, I'd get paid some something. But in some cases, I could ride both my bulls and not make any money. 
but still have paid that $100. So now I'm out $100, but I did my job. You know, so that's where it comes down to how how sore are you really or how hurt are you really? Even if the injury on site isn't the issue, Robbins has seen the impact of the bull riding industry's propensity for chronic injuries, including serious head trauma. In 2017, bull rider Ty Pazabon committed suicide following a long career during which he sustained what his family estimates to be at least 12 concussions. No one knew of his internal struggle with depression, and it shook up the bull riding community to lose him so tragically. His family donated his brain to research, and Pazabon became the first official case of CTE in bull riding. Yeah, speaking of the CTE, Ty Pazabon, one of the uh, absolute best guys to ever be uh, in the game. In, in the regard of everything, incredible bull rider, uh, just a truly genuine uh, guy uh, that everyone would want to meet. Um, unfortunately, yeah, received too many head injuries and, and with that brought some dark times for Posse and, and uh, yeah, dark enough for him to uh, decide to commit suicide and and then, yeah, later his, his brain was um, donated for research and, and they diagnosed that he had CTE, which was the first um, ever in bull riding and hopefully the last in that regard. But, you know, as tragic as it was for the whole sport, um, he really shed a light on concussions and the repercussions with them. Um, so for that, I'm, I'm extremely grateful because even myself, like as a younger kid coming up, I had been knocked out a few times and, you know, you take some time off and well, I'm good to go now. You know, I feel good. Um, and then, yeah, after Posse's deal, you know, it really opened a lot of guys' eyes in regard to how serious they can be um, because the thing with, with Posse is no one knew. Like you'd meet him on the street or at a rodeo and you would never know that he was struggling. Um, I think it opened a lot of eyes in that regard as well, that you never know, you know, the guy sitting next to you in the change room right here might be struggling and you don't know. Losing him left a stain on the impact of bull riding going forward. But personifying concussions allowed professional bull riding to implement mental health specific resources around the athletes. And, and, and luckily now with the sports medicine, um, along with the Ty Pazabon Foundation. So they created a foundation in his name um, to help bring awareness to concussions and how serious they are, and then as well as uh, mental health. And, and they also help fund the Canadian sports medicine team, be at all of the events that we're at. Um, and, and since Pazzi's death, the sports medicine team has grown an insane amount in the regard of team members for one to be able to go to all these events and then the tools as well so like every every year like starting here right away i'll have to take a concussion test uh like a baseline test to get an idea where i'm at and then whenever we hit our head it's not up to us anymore like because rodeo used to be like oh you're a cowboy you know cowboy up you know drink a beer and be tough <laughs> but you know thankfully now it's it's 
being taken more as a sport and more as we're being taken more as athletes um, to, to, to where the, the sports medicine will tell us if we're allowed to ride or not. The Thai Pazabon Foundation is linked in the show notes if you'd like more information or a link to donate. Before we conclude episode 44 of Closer Mentality, I want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? All the stories I've told thus far, including the one today, have been the vulnerabilities of elite athletes and team personnel. But what happens before they're comfortable speaking about some of the most difficult times in their lives on such a public forum? Nearly all of them have utilized a sports psychologist or a therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I've partnered with BetterHelp to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help that you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for all Closer Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the story. Whether it's a mental or physical injury, Robin says that not a single ride is guaranteed. The potential to get just as injured during your first ride as your 100th keeps him on his toes, and Robbins is keenly aware of how finite his career may well be. At 22 years old, he's still at the very beginning of it, but he's seen fellow riders leave the industry for a myriad of reasons. Yeah, I would say like for a professional career, 18 years old until you're probably looking to get out when you're about 35, I would say. If you can make it to 35, you're you're doing good. You're an elite. Um, but yeah, you can run into guys having a, you know, early retirement due to injuries. Um, you know, too many shoulder complications or too many blown out knees or too many concussions or whatever. And then, you know, some just, cause it, it is a, it's a tough way to make a living. Right. Um, you know, if you really want to make a good living out of, you're gone all the time. So, you know, by the time you're, you know, 30, you probably got a family, um, you know, some kids and, and it would get tough for sure. I can imagine for those guys, uh, you know, being gone so much, um, and, and doing such a dangerous profession, uh, away from their family. And I think then it just, as life goes on, I think it just, um, they don't get sick of it. I don't imagine, but they just get to where family is more important or, what they have going on at home is more important and and then they yeah just just step away um, because if you're not fully invested 100 percent 
in in this game. Um, I don't imagine you'll be very good at it, and and it's too dangerous just to, you know, half-ass essentially. His hopes now are to find himself in another PBR Canada National Final, like the one he placed 10th in this year. Last weekend, he kicked off the 2022 docket with a 7th place finish at the Lloydmeister PBR Classic and has a full US and Canada circuit carving its way through 2022. You can follow Koi's adventures on Instagram at KoiRobbins underscore. You can also find Koi and I's full interview on the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. I have a lot more cool stories coming your way. Next week, I'm bringing on former professional soccer player Wells Thompson to talk about playing Major League Soccer and how the international landscape surrounding soccer has shifted. But until then, see you next week. <music>